We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is produced, the Wajak Noongar people, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Sometimes. Well, Courtney, welcome to Isolation. Ah, thank you, Greg. <laughs> How are you going? <laughs> yeah, good. So a bit better than you by the looks and sounds of things. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm doing my uh, regulated PCR test because uh, feeling a bit unwell this morning, so in isolation for a little bit. Uh, but that does not stop us recording podcasts. That's right. Through rain, rain, <laughs> hail, shine, COVID doesn't matter. That, exactly, that's exactly it. Yeah. So today we have a, a a very interesting episode for everyone. We talked to Dr. Hannah Thomas from Telethon Kids Institute, and she is a part of a project called the Stop Trial, which is all about skin health in remote and regional areas in Western Australia, and it's a very very cool project. Um, yeah. yeah. No, it's a fascinating conversation about the different aspects of the project and you can tell from talk and you'll hear this from the conversation we have that Hannah's obviously learning a lot all the time in this project, even though she's already very well qualified. Um, Mm -hmm. She's, you know, there's many, many aspects to this project and she discusses a few of them with us and um, yeah, pretty, pretty mind-blowing stuff and I think will be important not just for this project but for future projects that people want to do, particularly in kind of Aboriginal child health. Absolutely. And you can see um, how Hannah and I met through our love of science communication because we both have pretty similar pathways in that way. So did meet her at a Telephone Kids Institute a little get-together uh, and I mentioned that I worked at, at SciTech and she flagged me down uh, so we could talk about science communication and our love for talking about science to kids. So that's how I met her. And because of that, because of that interaction, we managed to get her on the podcast and you can see her love of psychoming yeah. throughout this episode, I think. And the good news for listeners is that because she is such an accomplished science communicator, she is a really good person to listen to in our conversation. Absolutely. So have a listen and enjoy. After the fact, if we need to, so cool. No worries. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for joining us, uh, Dr. Hannah Thomas from Telethon Kids Institute. No worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so Courtney, do you want to um, lead this one? Oh, sure, I can lead this one. Um, so Hannah, do you want to quickly start uh, with your career history and maybe how you ended up at Telephone Kids? Yeah, sure thing. It's been a bit of a windy road, to be honest. Um, I So I grew up in Adelaide, um, mm-hmm. very privileged to grow up on Paramount and Ghana country um, over to the east there, and I sort of always actually thought I'd be a teacher. That's kind of where I always Hmm. thought I'd end up. Um, I went to uni, did Bachelor of Science, really loved it but didn't come out of it with a whole lot of direction. Someone convinced me to do honours. I can't really remember how that happened and it really wasn't my plan, um, but I did that and I always (laughs) thought, I'll do do that and then I'll do a dip-ed and then I'll be a teacher. And I did my honours and then I finished that and I just really surprisingly enjoyed research so much which I wasn't expecting because I'd always had this kind of idea that it was really like like a life of solitude and you were just in the lab on your own and you didn't get to talk to people 
but I had a really good experience. And so that tricked me into doing a PhD, um, mm-hmm. which I did, um, still in Adelaide at that point. And my PhD was in skin um, and healing of skin, particularly like diabetic wounds and helping them to heal faster. Um, and really enjoyed that. Um, but by the end of it, I'd really, I, I'd found that kind of solitary research life that I had one day pictured that it might feel like. And I, I just kind of had enough, like I was craving talking to people and working with people and things. Um, and so I did a total 180 and I, I moved to Canberra and I did a Masters of Science Communication and Outreach. Um, spent a year working for Questacon, National Science Technology Centre, um, basically doing science shows all around Australia for kids. And it was an absolute ball time of my life. And then I got a job in Scotland for the um, Edinburgh Science Festival. I moved over there at the start of 2020 to do similar work, like tra- basically travelling around Scotland in a van full of fun science stuff and um, convincing kids that science is the way to go. <laughs> and that was that was meant to be for a year, but, of course, we had um, COVID kick in in that year. So I was only there for about two and a half months and then I came back to Australia, um, spent a little while, about three months, working on the COVID response in South Australia, contact tracing and um, managing COVID cases. And then I moved to WA because my, my partner was here and I really just, just needed a job. And um, Telethon at the time was recruiting for a COVID um, study, so sort of working on a project that was testing asymptomatic kids and teachers in schools for COVID. And it brought together lots of sort of lots of my interests and skills like research but also working in schools and working with teachers and kids and um, communicating a lot with people so I I took that on I did that for six months and while I was doing that um, one of my bosses at the time was uh, the woman I work for now Dr Ash Bowen um, and she she has a big research group um, looking at healthy skin so I kind of came full circle back into skin uh, but on a really different level because in my PhD I was working in the lab and um, now I work basically in public health, essentially. Um, so um, I work on a big clinical trial called the STOP trial. Um, it's a randomised clinical trial in the Kimberley region of Western Australia. Um, we partner with nine remote Aboriginal communities up there and we're trying to decrease the burden of skin infections for remote living Aboriginal children by 50%. Um, and it's just just an absolute privilege. It's I'm so I feel so lucky every day. It's like I've come landed somehow magically in this role that brings my science and my communication and my love of kids and everything all into one. Um, but it's also really challenging, which is you know what makes your job exciting. Mm. Absolutely. So right at the beginning. Um, you did, so your, was your honours in something more like biological about skin? Mm, yeah, well, it wasn't even skin, actually. I did my honours in biochemistry in a breast right. cancer project, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, cool. So then so then you did your honours, your PhD, and then your master's. Did people, <laughs> like, freak out when the, you finished your PhD and you're like, oh, I'm going to do a master's now? Absolutely, yeah. Everyone's <laughs> like, that's not the right order to do them in. You've gone no. backwards. <laughs> Um, but also just because my master's was in really something quite different um, and everyone sort of thought that I was like abandoning ship on on research and I, I guess at the time I probably thought I was as well a little bit. I was sort of needed a change of scenery um, 
But what's really interesting is that I work full-blown full in research now. Like I don't have a communications role technically. Um, I'm a postdoc. But my master's is like the thing that I use the most every day, the skills, like the communication skills and the relationship management skills um, that I learned in that is like number one, my useful skill set in the work that I do now. This is just um, really fascinating. Th- those projects all sound amazing. Um, and, and the the stop. Um, study or the stop trial is it that you're working with now? Yeah, that's right. Up in the Pilbara. Um, yeah, so I'm curious what aspects of communication you you need to use when you're dealing with your partners up there, um, as opposed to maybe people that you might work with in the city. Yeah, sure. So, like I said, there's nine remote communities that are really partners on the trial. It's it's an enormous partnership of um, lots and lots of different bodies. So that Telethon Kids is the research partner on the trial, but we also partner with service providers like Kimberley Aboriginal Medical Service and um, WACS, um, Nirenbrook Environmental Health. Um, but by far the most important partners in the trial are the, the communities that have committed to this really quite a long stint of work um, to try and decrease skin infections and lower the burden of those for the kids in their own families and communities and also the Aboriginal community controlled health organisations that are active in Kimberley as well. So lots of different lenses coming to that project. Everyone has a shared vision and shared goal for what we hope to see but you know we all bring very different things and um, you know COVID has has disrupted this a little bit but essentially our um, our work is built on a lot of travel and we spend quite a lot of time in the Kimberley each year um, in those communities, working with people from those communities to sort of tailor the interventions to each community and make sure that they're fit for purpose and um, what those communities would like to see for their families. Um, so I suppose, you know, I never realised going into research that you could have such an important part of your work be just the relationships that you hold with individuals and um, families. We have, obviously, we we engage a lot with children because those are the, um, that's the demographic that we're trying to um, make a change for. And we spend a lot of time working in partnership with the schools in those communities. And that's a really, just a really interesting space to sit in because, like I said, everyone on the trial is hugely committed to what we're trying to do, but we're the only people for whom that's our core business, like the um, medical service providers and the schools and the families, like they lead their own lives and they've got a lot else on their plate. So we we have this really interesting juggle to, you know, work with people and um, work towards our shared goals but recognise that they've also got other priorities as well. And I think that that's the space where my, like my background in communications has really um, built me up and, and given me the opportunity to succeed because we, I don't want to generalise for everyone, but, <laughs> you know, when you do a, like a tertiary um, research degree, um, there are lots and lots of amazing skills you come out of them with, but it's not always necessarily a strong communication skill set because, because, like I said, research can be so solitary. So, yeah, I think that's probably one of the main sort of surprising elements that's come up for me. Mm. Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, and just out of interest, are there, are there many different languages that you're having to deal with as well um, amongst all those groups? Yeah, so we work, the communities that we work with are spread um, 
about half of them sit in the, the West Kimberley around the Dampier Peninsula and down to Bidjadanga, and then the other half of them are in the East Kimberley in the desert um, against that beautiful Pindan dust. Mm. And um, there are lots of different language groups um, represented in, in the communities that we work with. We, I guess because we work um, through a lot of the service providers, we we have um, the opportunity to work work in English with most of the sort of service provision that we do in terms of checking kids' skin and referring them if they have infections. But um, the amazing thing is that those service providers themselves, like the schools and the clinics who are really where we spend a lot of our time, they have in, embedded such incredible cultural um involvement in their Aboriginal teaching assistants at the schools and Aboriginal health workers in the clinics and um, so we've had yeah the real privilege to have um, a connection with those people who help us to communicate when you know language is a barrier. Um, also like communities are just in, been incredibly generous in sharing knowledge with us whether it be language or um, traditional understandings around skin and health so it's a real like two-way learning opportunity in that regard. We, we go in um, with our sort of research intentions, um, but we, we're learning a lot as well about, yeah, the language and the, the art, beautiful art. My, my house is littered with um, beautiful artworks oh, now from so Kimberley cool. that I never would have had the opportunity to um, collect without this work, yeah. Mm. Yeah, we've got a, a friend who works in um, early childhood education in a community called Warburton out in the Gibson Desert, just sort of about 10 hours north of Kalgoorlie. Uh, and we've got some artwork from that community. And yeah, when we've been up to the, the Kimberley, it's amazing. It's, it's got its own style, definitely. It's recognisable. Yeah, even between the communities, we um, sort of um, on a on a mission to have something from every community by the end of the trial. I'm not quite there yet, but, um, you know, um, Warman community out in the East Kimberley, that's where I bought my first piece and they have this beautiful um, style. They use all the local ochre and crush it up mm, to make mm -hmm. these like very um, neutral, earthy toned ochre paints. Um, and then over in, in, in the West Kimberley, you see these incredible bright acrylics and like it's a really different aesthetic. Yeah. Mm. Oh, very good. So, yeah. and that, oops, you go, Craig. Sorry, you go ahead, Courtney, and I'll follow on. Okay, I was just going to say that kind of really leads nicely onto the the painting that you shared with us about the stock trial. Um, do you want to explain a bit about that? Because we can post it up so other people can see. Yeah, it that's cool. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so that painting is essentially um, a depiction of the stock trial and the stock trial story, um, and it was painted by a man called Luke Riches. He's um, a Bardi man from Ardaloon community, which is one of the communities we work with. Um, and he, yeah, he's painted the nine Kimberley communities that partner on the trial. And um, if you have a look at the background, you can see that the, some of them are against that beautiful red Pindan dust and some of them are um, saltwater communities. So you've got the beautiful ocean blue behind them. Um, and, you know, from afar, it looks like nine identical rings that represent the communities. But if you zoom in, it really... Sort of highlights the unique identities of each of those communities and um, there's the song lines and the storylines between them connecting the communities and you also see a bit of a hand motif there's um, little hand prints um, around a lot of them and that's born of um, a lot of engagement we had with the children early on in the trial talking about 
why skin is important and why we would choose to keep our skin strong and healthy and um, the kids of the communities actually designed our Stop Child logo which has a big handprint on it so that's where that comes from. So yeah, I was going to ask a bit more about the trial specifically. Um, what what sort of skin problems are you guys trying to address and prevent and treat? Yeah, so we we basically go to communities three times a year, and through the school we check the kids' skin for skin infections if they're consented into the trial, and um, in doing that we check for any any skin infections, um, and if they have treatable skin infections, we give them a referral to the local clinic. Um, but I suppose in terms of the primary outcomes of the trial, we're really especially concerned with strep A skin infections, so skin infections with streptococcus A bacteria. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, Burden-wise, those they're very, very common. Um, and we do know that infection with a strep A bacteria, whether it be in the skin or the throat, um, can lead to acute rheumatic fever, which in turn, with repeated infection, can lead to rheumatic heart disease. And I know you know all about this, Courtney, but um, <laughs> in the um, remote living Aboriginal children who live in the sort of northern part of Australia have some of the highest rates of rheumatic heart disease in the world. So we're really concerned with, with sort of getting as far upstream as that, of that as we can and starting to decrease those infections from the get-go to hopefully decrease the incidence with which someone develops rheumatic heart disease in the future. Um, we're also, we keep an especially keen eye out for scabies. Um, scabies is a itchy little mite that gets under your skin. And while scabies doesn't um, necessarily have the same direct links to downstream health consequences, it's so itchy that if you get scabies, you can't help but scratch. And we know that just any kind of break in the skin um, can then lead to a secondary bacterial infection and onwards down that path. So. Um, really scabies and strep A we're ultimately trying to deal with. We know that, um, at least in the Northern Territory, remote living Aboriginal children, almost 45% of them have a skin sore, which is a strep A skin infection at any time. So that's really the main focus. And um, the STOP trial is um, just like everything else at Telephone Kids Institute. It's a very clever acronym. Um, so the S, the T and the P in STOP stand for See, Treat and Prevent Skin Infections. So we're really trying to, I guess, take this holistic approach to not just finding skin infections and treating them, but, um, you know, building capacity in communities to see skin infections, recognise what healthy skin looks like and what unhealthy skin looks like so that people are empowered to be able to seek treatment and care if they need it treat skin infections when they arise with evidence-based treatments and we're trialling a couple of um, different treatments that are slightly different to what the first-line treatments are in the current clinical protocols. Um, and then the P is really, I think, the most exciting part of the trial. It's all about preventing those infections to start with and that work sits in the space of health promotion. Um, and particularly um, health promotion around environmental health and the factors in our environment that may or may not, not cause us to have a skin infection. Um, and that part of the, the trial is, is really interesting because it's it's co-designed with each community. So where with the C and the treat, you know, we have quite a rigid 
um, protocol that we're following in terms of the randomized clinical trial, but in the prevent space, we have um, we have taken the time. We're trying to take the time to build a relationship with each community and then learn from those communities about what sort of health promotion resources or activities they see being the most beneficial for their families and their community. Um, and it's it's a really interesting journey, and and it it looks requisitely different in every community as a result. Hmm. And yeah. why with um, this particular trial? So you are focusing on strep A, um, mm. which, as you said, is uh, one of the, the reasons for causing um, acute rheumatic fever and rheumatic heart disease down the line. Mm. Why then is this just a regional or remote project and mm. not in metro? Yeah, really good question. So I guess the, the origins of the trial is that our... Um, our leader, um, Asha Bowen, she did her PhD in the Northern Territory, um, working on a different clinical trial called the Skin Sore Trial. And through that, she identified um, a really high burden of skin sores in remote living Aboriginal kids in Northern Territory, um, and also um, did some non-inferiority um, assessments of different treatment options for that. And then after that, there was quite a lot of information about um, the burden of strep A skin infections sort of across Australia, but not much information about the remote parts of Western Australia. So it was sort of um, in its origins, the trial was filling a gap there in terms of understanding the burden. Um, but you, you're absolutely right. And the thing is that we, we as a team, have been working on understanding and addressing skin infections in remote settings for quite some time. And we've generated quite a, a lot of understandings around that. But we can't make assumptions that those understandings or learnings will apply, for example, as you say, in a like, more regional but not remote or a metropolitan setting. So as a team, we have some other projects that are sort of addressing those gaps as well. Um, we've got a project that's starting this year called the Kununga Mudich Healthy Skin Project, and that's really all about um, identifying the burden of skin infection disease in um, in children that live, Aboriginal children that live in an urban setting. Mm -hmm. um, so that's... Uh, partnered with some healthcare providers and clinics here in Perth and also in sort of regional but not particularly remote settings like down south in Bunbury, for example. Hmm. Yeah. I had a quick question probably going back a step. Um, you mentioned environmental health factors that may be associated with people being at risk of getting these types of infections. Do you want to just run through what some of those might be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess we know that our environment is linked to the burden of infectious disease generally. Like we're all experiencing that firsthand right now with mm -hmm. COVID and the fact that most of the measures that we're asked to put in place to protect ourselves from COVID are around um, the interactions that we have with the environment and the interactions that our environment have with other people because we understand that that's sort of the mechanism for most infectious disease transmission. Um, but in a remote setting, you know, there's also just this whole other factor around the social, determin social determinants of health and the availability of infrastructure and healthcare and um, living opportunities there. Um, so a lot of those environmental health factors are simply things around um, having enough space for yourself. Um, a, a lot of people don't have access to soap and healthy home hardware like running um, showers and working taps 
So those are really the, the core environmental health factors that are, need, need to be addressed in that setting. Um, so we're trying to work with work with people to understand the challenges that they are experiencing rather than making assumptions about what they might be. Um, and then further to that, build on that um, to find solutions to those infrastructural challenges, um, but also find solutions to helping people to understand, you know, if, if you are living with challenges to accessing that kind of infrastructure, the best things that you can do um, still to keep yourself safe, and to keep other people safe from infectious disease. Mm. Okay. And we actually have, I'll mention quickly, I'll do a quick little spruik. Um, <laughs> one of the uh, a sort of prevention or health promotion activities that's happened in the trial was um, back in 2020. Um, we worked with some of the communities in the Danby Peninsula to make a hip hop video, um, which you can watch on YouTube. I would encourage Amazing. you to. Yeah. Um, and it's all about environmental health. So it was actually um, led by a PhD student on the trial, Tracy McRae. She did an amazing job. Um, and also, so I should say, led from a research was led to by Tracy McRae, but in community led and really championed by some community navigators um, in some of the communities up there. Mm. We brought all the kids together um, and worked remotely with some hip-hop artists from Melbourne to um, work through an understanding of the healthy living practices that and the environmental health factors that influence your health. And then the kids wrote the lyrics to the hip-hop song around their understandings that they gained from those workshops. And then it was filmed on country and the kids, um, the kids are the star of the show. They rap their own lyrics with incredible um, prowess. I every time I try and do a rendition of it, they just look at me like, "Who do you think you are?" Um, but it's it's really cool. It's called Hip Hop to Stop, um, and you should look it up on YouTube. Yeah, we'll, we'll put the link in a, in our um, podcast description. Uh, sounds great. I'm looking forward to listening to it. <laughs> did, did, did your travels up there take you to a place called Signet Bay by chance? Uh, yes, we, we stay in Signet Bay quite often. Have you been there? We have, yeah. We were there just in the summer, just gone. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful place, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, so the um, some of the three of the communities that we work with on the Dampier Peninsula, I'd say all within a radius of about 45 minutes from Signet Bay. Mm -hmm. So we do spend a lot of time in that area. Yeah. Very Humid, nice. though. Yeah, it was, it was scorching hot when we were up there. Um, yeah. Yeah, they needed some rain and it hadn't arrived yet, but I think they got it. A, a whole lot of rain after we left. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, interesting. Um, so I guess probably logically we'd move on to discussing some of these interventions that you guys are testing, mm. testing out to see, you know, what they are and, and how they work. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess we can work through the S, the T and the P. Mm -hmm. That's my favourite way to go with stop. Yeah. Um, so in the C space, which is the S of stop, um, there's the obvious intervention, which is that we show up in community three times a year and check all the kids' skin. Mm -hmm. um, so that means that if, if a child presents with an infection, a treatable infection, then we send a letter to their family encouraging them to go to the clinic. Um, and that's been, well, all the trial is blinded, so we don't know the outcomes yet. But in terms of like anecdotally our experiences on the ground it's a um it's an effective way to engage kids with sort of having a look at their skin and um starting to identify and, and over the years we've seen kids um start to self-identify or they, they see us and they're like look at this um 
which has been really good. But it's really, it's not a long-term solution. It's more of a research activity in the sense that we're gathering information about how many skin infections there are and hoping to measure any change that happens over the course of the trial that way. So that's our primary outcome. But, um, you know, we won't, we won't be able to go forever. Um, and it's not, it's no solution to the problem for us to sort of um, show up and do that. So the other really important activity or intervention or activity that happens in the city space is we do a lot of training when we're in communities with um, school staff, with staff at the clinic um, and with community members when it's possible to, um, I guess, talk through what those infections look like, but also why why we're concerned about them and why we sort of come with this um, hope of, of decreasing those infections. And we're really looking to try and build capacity in communities that will be retained as a bit of a legacy and hopefully over time, um, even though there isn't someone coming in specifically to check for skin infections, there'll be um, more opportunities for people to self-identify or identify skin infections um, for their children or their families. Um, the other thing that we just started doing last year is um, through, throughout the life of the trial, we've um, delivered that training for those groups I mentioned, clinic staff, school staff, community members, families, parents. Um, but we have just in the last year started doing workshops with kids as well, sort of in recognition of the fact that they're the ones that we're hoping to influence and create tangible health change for. Um, so we've started doing workshops at the schools with the kids where we really just, it's not very complicated, but we just work through that S, that T and that P of seeing, treating and preventing skin infections for yourself. Um, and that's been, I mean, that's with my background and, and science for kids, that's obviously my favourite part of the trial. <laughs> um, but then in the treat space, um, we it's similarly um, quite, hinges quite a lot on training. So we um, do a lot of training with clinic staff in the local clinics in each community um, around just refreshing on what skin infections look like, but also why, even though they might seem like sort of a bit just a bit of a nuisance surface level issue why we we think that it's really important to treat them um and then we do also we are also as i mentioned before trialing a, a particular investigative medicinal product as they would say at the tga so um it's not particularly complicated but at the moment for scabies which is that itchy mite i mentioned earlier um for scabies at the moment, the first line treatment in the Kimberley is a cream called Lyclear, um, which is just like a really thick, it feels like a moisturiser, but it's like really oily, thick cream. And in order to treat yourself with scabies with that, you have to cover yourself from head to toe in cream and leave it on for 24 hours, Oof. which is, um, yeah, it's not achievable. It's not achievable in any setting, but when you're, like it's humid like we we're just talking about it's just it's really difficult and you you know you go to the toilet and wash your hands and it's come off your hands you gotta put it back on yeah. it's a really difficult treatment to adhere to um and the second line treatment for scabies at the moment in the kimberley is a tablet called ivermectin so in contrast to the full body cream situation it's just a tablet and then another tablet seven days later so um the community clinics that are partnered in this trial they have sort of special permission to use that tablet as first-line treatment and we're trialling it to see whether that's an effective way to combat scabies in that setting. Um, and then the other sort of treat-based intervention that we have is that for those skin sores or that strep A skin infection we were talking about earlier, um, 
there's sort of two antibiotic options for treating that. One of them is what's uh, commonly referred to as the needle, um, and it's a uh, L.A.bacillin needle, a penicillin needle in the hip, um, and it really, really hurts. And um, it's quite common. A lot of kids have experienced it many times and have a needle phobia as a result. Um, we even sometimes when we go to school, kids say, are you going to give me the needle? Like it's really, mm. there's a high level of association just between that and general healthcare. And um, the other option is uh, drink medicine. It's a um, oral antibiotic liquid or tablet. Um, and so we're sort of advocating for clinics um, using their clinical judgment, of course, um, but if possible to use their um, oral antibiotic rather than the needle. Um, and we're just trying to have a look and see whether that's a uh, sort of a feasible option for, we know that it's very effective in, in actually killing strep A, um, but in terms of adherence and people's comfort um, and choices that people choose end up making around whether or not they take their antibiotics, we're just having a look at whether that's a, a different option. Mm. And then finally in the P, I guess I touched on it earlier, but um, the P is difficult to describe the prevent space. Uh, because it is really different in every community. But um, the hip-hop video is an example of the kinds of outputs that we're trying to work towards with communities. And that hip-hop video was never our idea. It was, you know, something that you know we um, had a conversation with the communities and, and they said, you know, I think this, this would be a really good way to get this message across. Um, and so we're sort of our role in the prevent space is, is really more of a, of a facilitator, um, facilitating those conversations. And then once there is a plan, once there is a, a goal, facilitating working towards that um, in partnership with those communities, because it's really important that those, those outcomes or those resources, whatever stems from our prevent activities, uh, owned by those communities, led by those communities, and they're comfortable having them as part of their own arsenal of resources to deal with skin infections. So I guess a couple of other examples would be um, in a couple of communities we're working towards making flip charts, so physical mm. books um, with information about, again, what those skin infections look like and how to treat them and what, why. Um, but they're all going to be in language, um, as you mentioned before, Craig, um, and, and so there's a number of different iterations of that book taking place at the moment um, in consultation with people from different language groups. Um, we've also got a big project we're working on at the moment with one of the East Kimberley communities, which is similarly um, working towards a book but more of a storybook, um, and some of the uh, local elders have... Um, sort of jumped on board and um, committed to illustrating the book um, in the sort of local art style. And um, the focus of that book is actually, while it is skin infections and, and what they look like and how to treat them, the, the primary focus of the book is sort of celebration of the, all the traditional methods for keeping your skin really strong and healthy. Um, and yeah, recognising that um, that's been happening for a really long time and there's an age, age old lifelong commitment already from the community um, around keep keeping everyone's skin as strong as possible. Um, so sort of supplement, celebrating that and then supplementing it with some information around um, the sort of Western clinical options for treatment as well. So that is has been a really incredible 
sort of two-way learning process for us because we've learned a lot about um, what that community does to preserve skin health. Um, and, yeah, we're working towards a, a storybook with side-by-side -side photos and illustrations of those bush medicines, but also um, through um, consultation with some of the elders and some of the Aboriginal teaching assistants in that community, it was identified that while storybook would be a good resource, they really would like a digital option as well because um, a lot of the kids um, prefer to engage with the digital resource these days. So um, we're also making a bit of a behind-the-scenes um, video about the sort of the making of the storybook and how all that information was shared and um, what everyone learned from that experience. So, mm. yeah. Hi, we hope you're enjoying this episode. If you have a minute and enjoy the conversations we bring you, it'd be great if you could go to wherever you get your podcasts and give us a quick rating and review. Not only do we love to get your feedback, but it also helps other people to find us. Thank you. And now back to the show. It sounds to me like there's two main threads here for this project. One one is obviously the the health um, treatment side of things, the medical management of, of these problems. And the other really mm. is how you communicate that as effectively and simply and, um, you know, accessibly to, to the local people that you're trying to reach. So it's, it's almost like two projects kind of side by side. Is that the sense you get working in the project? Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And I think the thing I've come to realise in my time working on the project is that neither is, is more important than the other, that having sort of the two together is really the only way I can see sort of a tangible change being made in the long run. Um, and that communication is is just really has to privilege the voices of, of people who are local and people who have a relationship with the, I guess in this case, the children that we're hoping to help. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's been, like I said, it's just still real, for me personally, real marriage of sort of my like academic research science background and my comms background coming together to sort of complement each other in, in terms of the project. Yeah. And um, the conversations that you hold with the different communities to come up with ideas about prevention techniques, your storybooks, your hip-hop video, what do those conversations look like? Um, they normally happen over barbecues. Nice, yep. Um, although I guess that's a generalisation. We, we often have barbies or morning teas, um, sort of just opportunities to come together informally and have a yarn about it. Um, and we really have to recognise always that we're, it's a big ask that we're making of people to make this a priority, to take their time away from their busy day-to-day -day lives and come down and engage with us about what is our core business but is just one facet of, of what's going on for them. So... Um, We've been, yeah, really, really lucky to have um, such incredible, knowledgeable people sort of come and have a yarn with us and share their thoughts. Um, but I suppose there are also lots of um, other sort of incidental opportunities to have those conversations that come up as part of the other work that we do. So we've learned an awful lot just from the kids, you know, not, not through um, specifically trying to have a conversation about it, but just through interactions with them as we as we check skin and as we talk about why skin's important um and some of those learnings have grown and developed into some of the biggest parts of of what we're doing in the prevent space like 
I suppose another example would be um, we, we we started doing those school workshops because mm-hmm. one of the Aboriginal teaching assistants in one of the schools said to me, we did the training for the for the school staff, for the teachers and the ATAs, and then one of the ATAs said to me, why, like, why are you, why are you telling us about it? <laughs> why, like, of course yeah. tell us about it, but, you know, like you want the kids to take care of their skin and you want the kids to know how important their skin is. Like, you've got to tell them. And um, and so that was sort of, that was the seed of that. And, and then we consulted with lots of other people in the way that we ended up doing that, but that was really where that grew from. And then in engaging with the kids through that setting, it's sort of all, it's like a chain domino effect you know through having that engagement with the students um and just creating a space to have a dialogue around whether they value their skin and and what why um it's sort of it's taught me a lot about the ultimate importance of what we're doing i suppose i come come to it with a research background and a clinical understandings background and i've learned a lot about the cultural significance of skin um, the importance of skin for for identity and um, that's that's been incredible. But then we've also had all these learnings about the best way that we can tell people about things and you know, things that we never would have done before. Like we we did the workshops with the kids and we sort of have these games that we play with them where they sort of match up um, to match things up to correctly name skin infections or to correctly identify what you should do if you have this one or that one. Um, and they, they sort of said to me, like, why, like, why isn't this on a computer? This would be so much cooler if it was, <laughs> this would be so much yeah. cooler if it was, like, on, a, on an iPad or whatever. Um, and I was like, yeah, fair point, you know. Um, and so we sort of, we took that and we had lots of chats with, with people, um, adults and kids about that possibility. And now we've just, um, at the end of last year, gotten some funding to start building the prototype of a healthy skin app. Awesome. Um, yeah, and we don't quite know what it'll look like yet, um, but the we're, it's something that we're hoping to develop in partnership with um, a, a community advisory group, essentially. So we're sort of just trying to pull together as many people with as many skill sets as we can that might be able to contribute, and then we're hoping to continue those conversations about, you know, if you were to engage with a digital resource to try and improve or champion the health of your skin, you know, what would you want from that and, and what would be interesting and what wouldn't. Um, so, yeah, like I say, it's sort of those conversations look really different in really all over the place, but they sort of build and grow and that's been like a, a massive learning for me as a researcher. Mm. So I was just going to ask you quickly there. Um, so you mentioned the, the music project, the hip-hop project, um, and mm. another thing that often gets talked about when we're trying to reach Aboriginal communities and particularly young people is uh, role models. Um, and I know sports yeah. sports stars often get, um, True. you know, contracted to, to go out to the, to where they're from a lot of the time. Um, if they've come from a remote mm-hmm. community, particularly like with COVID, they, they got a few of the AFL footballers to go to the, the Kimberley and the Pilbara to back to their communities and spread the word about getting vaccinated and that sort of thing. Have you guys had any of that going on with your project? Yeah, I wouldn't say that we've um, instigated that. We certainly haven't had any famous people champion the project. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. Um, I better check that's true. I haven't just insulted anyone. I just, no, I'm, sure that's true. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> um, but I think I think what's been really amazing is 
you're absolutely right, Craig. Like that is just such an uh, important mode of communication. It's sort of storytelling and shared experience, um, and um, I guess engaging with and gaining understandings from people that you trust and have a connection with. Um, and we've really seen that play out um, just organically in the communities that we work with. You know, we have, um, uh, like I said, we, we're spending a lot of time with children because they're the, the primary outcome is a decrease in children and they're the demographic that we're trying to affect change for. But um, just in, in having the opportunity to talk with adults in communities, especially adults who sit in, um, I don't, don't know the best way to describe it, but I guess roles of um, responsibility or roles who um, would engage with kids and, and sort of have their respect um, through that. Um, there is this real sense of um, wonder and learning that, that happens for those children when they're engaged by someone from their own community about the, the, the messages that we bring. So um, it looks very different in every community, you know, um, the infrastructure that's available and the um, people who work in those communities that is totally different across the board. So in some communities there are, are school nurses or Aboriginal health practitioners who um, part of their remit is to is to play a role for school health. So they might visit the school on a regular basis, generally for health checks. And, and those people are such important champions of that skin health message um, because they have they have this incredible relationship to build on when they're engaging with kids in that space. Um, and in, in other communities, it might not be a healthcare provider, but it might be, um, like I said, an ATA at the school, or it might be, um, there's one community where we have a really strong relationship with, with a mum. We met her through Mums and Bubs group at school, and um, it's, a, it's a particularly small community and she she has has a really strong voice and a really amazing sort of storytelling um, way, and she's she's been an incredible champion for like just just bringing rallying people around the importance of skin. Um, so, but you're probably right. We should probably find a footballer to um, to, to come <laughs> travel with us. <laughs> yeah, we'll get any any dingo back out again. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But I think I would add, like, storytelling generally has been the, the most strong mode of communication across the board, whether it be through art, whether it be through song, whether it be through dance or just through sitting down and having a yarn, like coming with just a, a information provision um, angle is just not, it just hasn't been, um, really, something that we've we've done in this space, and it's it's always much more about finding a way to sort of share a story um, mm -hmm. with people. So yeah. not not printing flyers and handing them out, and that sort of thing that you <laughs> might some people might think is a good mm -hmm. idea in, in normal circumstances. Yeah, mm. I mean, I would add, like there are flyers that have been um, generated throughout the trial, but they've always been designed in community with people from community. Yeah. So they're um, you know. You know, we people are, are really open with us about what they think would be the most useful thing. And mm -hmm. some people might say, like people said, oh, like there's no point giving me a flyer, but if you give me a fridge magnet, I'll stick it on my fridge. You know, <laughs> so um, yeah, we're really lucky to be learning from from so many people mm -hmm. as we go along. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, to me 
before we started recording in a previous email that one of your favorite <laughs> things is the 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 workshops that you do are they structured mm. around stories yeah yeah they sort of vary so i guess the the primary structure of it is, is really just along the stop line so we do and we, we do see treat and prevent skin infections um and the sort of main reason for that is because we had a lot of consultation with teachers and school staff early on and their sort of primary advice was don't expect kids to engage for longer than however many minutes they are years old mm-hmm. um so we really tried when we designed it to to break it down into bite-sized pieces um that could could ultimately be delivered bang 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 back to back if that was what you wanted to do but could also be sort of a bit a bit every day or something like that um so that's sort of how we chose to break it down with it was with the s the t and the p um but then within those yes storytelling is a really cool component and, and you know we're we're doing it quite late in the trial so we have the benefit of a lot of the resources that have already been developed with community to sort of hark back to the hip hop video, as I said, is an absolute winner. Um, I can rap the lyrics by heart now, but uh, <laughs> every time I do it, the kids just, they're not impressed. So we we won't trying. ask you to do that for the podcast. <laughs> it's okay. Thanks. <laughs> 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 oh, discussing this project, uh, it sort of reminds me of some other work I was familiar with became familiar with in, um, as a result of a re- review I was doing a few years ago looking at trachoma, um, so eye, yeah. eye infections in some remote Aboriginal communities. And one of the novel kind of interventions there was a community swimming pool. And I, and mm. I don't know if that had, had sort of played into your thinking in designing this project or if it's something that has come up as a possible way of trying to change the environmental health factors. No, th- yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... The, across the communities that we work with, some of them have pools and some of them don't. Um, it's not um, a complete split, but generally the, the, the West Kimberley communities that sit near the coast are less likely to have a pool, um, and the East Kimberley desert communities almost all do. Um, and it's something that we're really aware of um, when we come to analysing the results of the trial is we're sort of trying... Um, to collect, we're collecting a lot of data along the way um, and trying to build a real understanding of what sort of the big environmental picture is um, within a community that sort of sets the scene or the context for their skin infections or lack thereof that we might see over time with kids. Um, in recognition, as you say, that things like something like a swimming pool is, is a, can have a massive impact on health generally in lots of um, aspects. And um, some of those community like one of those communities has gotten a pool during the trial and so it will be really interesting to see whether that has it has an impact um i spent a lot of time in those pools myself <laughs> um and it, it really is also just it, like i mean we have to recognize that health is so incredibly um i don't know what the word you would use but interlinked you know our our um emotional and social well-being is so linked to our um, physical well-being and our skin health is so linked to um, lots of other more in- internal systems um, and those pools are like obviously the salt water it's good for sterilizing um, but they're also just such a hub of activity and such an amazing place for people to spend time um, we have in the past done training or events at the pools um, not because they were pool related but because it's sort of a great place to come together um, 
but you're right, I think from memory, the, the pools have had a massive difference um, in trachoma management hmm. or not management, but incidental sort yeah. of impact on Yeah, curious, curiously, it differed between, I think there were two main communities that uh, participated in this particular bit of research and one found a huge effect and the other didn't. But wow. I, th- I think... Yeah, there's there's a whole range of arguments in favour of having the pools, and you've just touched on a few of them there with, you know, the social aspect of it and obviously, you know, a lot, I guess mm. a lot of these communities are in regions where they maybe don't get reliable rain and, and that sort of stuff, so water can be c- quite hard to come by at times and so the pool does provide mm. them a way of, you know, their skin getting washed and, and that sort of stuff as well, um, even though they're having yeah. a good time at the same time. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's been good. Yeah, interesting. So do, do you you mentioned there that there's there's an app that you guys have got funding to develop. Is that something that came out of your work or was that always part of the plan from the start? No, never part of the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just came out of, of just hearing from so many people time and time again that this, in this day and age a digital resource or a, a digital engagement opportunity is is really the way to go especially when you want to work with kids um also I guess for me personally a lot of the work that we do in terms of outputs for health promotion um or resources that we are generating to leave behind um for communities are really, really community-specific, and that is very much a deliberate thing. That's um, really the, the design of the trial is to try and create um, resources that are, are owned by those communities and, and they can um, keep them. Um, but in, in recognising sort of the incredible diversity and, and uniqueness um, between communities and, and culturally across the board, um, sometimes that means that a resource you develop with one community is not, not particularly... Um, engaging or useful for another community and um, that's not an argument for not um, creating those tailored resources Um, but it does mean that this work like you um, mentioned a while back Courtney this work is is quite specific to the region in which it's taking place in some regards Um, so I guess we're trying to look also for additional opportunities where we can perhaps take some of those learnings that we've had around um, storytelling or engagement or the way to share a skin health story um, and translate them into sort of platforms or resources that will be more wide-reaching, hopefully, um, ex- more accessible by people. Um, and while even just a couple of years ago, sort of reception and internet coverage were challenges in, in some parts of the Kimberley, that's becoming increasingly less and less so um, as we go along. So it really does seem like, you know, now is the time for a, a digital um, platform or, or um, thing um, that could take some of what we've learnt in how we can share that story and make it more broadly accessible because anyone can download it. Um, and sort of we're really hoping that it will have a big health promotion and educational focus. But we're also hoping that in the long run, uh, with lots and lots more money, so if anyone who's listening wants to pitch in, <laughs> that's fine, um, that it can also have some sort of, I don't ever want to say self-diagnostic capability because we don't ever want to suggest that it's, you should use it instead of going to see a clinician. Um, but I guess some um, 
capacity to provide decision-making support for people around the choices that they make their skin. So um, we're hoping to use some um, machine learning and um, to train the app to recognise potentially um, what types of skin infections there are, but also specifically for skin sores and that primary outcome we have of decreasing that strep A infection, um, giving people some advice around whether a skin sore they have is infected or not, or whether a lesion that they have is infected or not, um, and therefore whether sort of attendance at a clinic is, is necessary. Um, so yeah, it's definitely was never part of the of the mm -hmm. big picture at the start, but I think it's something we sort of it's grown out of lots of conversations that we've had, and and we see it as a really good opportunity to sort of maybe pull together a lot of what's happened during the trial and disseminate it more widely. Um, as sort of a value add um, on top of the research outcomes that we have from the trial. Mm -hmm. mm. And so this is this is a trial um, and obviously you are in the middle of collecting all of your um, mm. results and implementing all these prevention things. When do you expect to be able to identify the, the main outcomes mm. and get some real, like, publishing things happening? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's a very good question because COVID is um, really wreaking havoc on things, mm -hmm. especially where um, research is reliant on remote travel um, and course. things like that. Because um, the the well being and the safety of our communities is is always the top priority. So um, originally, the trial would have ended at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. Um, and this right now, right now, I would have been analysing the data <laughs> and writing the papers this yeah. very second. Yeah. Uh, however, um, in 2020, when COVID first happened, um, there was the international, sorry, not international, but the um, WA Biosecurities Act and um, travel to remote communities wasn't possible for a really better part of the year. Um, and that was 100% the right thing to happen at that time, but it, it did mean that we didn't um, we didn't get to collect data, but we also didn't get to follow through on very many of the interventions during that time. So the trial was extended for a year to the end of this year. Um, and so um, all, all going well, we will um, finish collecting data by the end of this year and we will start doing all of the analysis, um, writing the papers, but also most importantly, feeding back what we found to those communities and having conversations about what the next steps might be for managing or um, championing skin health. Um, but now we're in the next stage of COVID time and who knows what will happen. <laughs> so um, I can't tell you, really. Yeah. But, um, yeah, <laughs> it's all it's a big big learning curve, but, um, you know, it's, it's really important. And we have... Um, we're right now having lots of conversations about what this year might look like because it could well look like not travelling to communities in the way that we have in the past um, and trying to see it as an opportunity to, to, you know, find alternative ways to collect the data that we need but also maybe really innovate in the space because probably, you know, if this trial in the way that we generally do it was pitched to an ethics board now, it would never get off the ground because of the reliance on face-to-face -face contact and travel into into remote communities so we sort of need to start thinking about well what what is the best way we can do this in this sort of new world that we live in because that for the next research project or for service provision moving forwards um we still need to find a way to deliver for people um 
So watch this space. I'll let you know. All right. Sounds good. Um, Well, I think we're coming towards the end of our conversation. I know I have one last question, but it's a real like Mm -hmm. side thing. So Craig, did you you have any um, other questions? Um, I mean, several questions, but let's keep Uh, it. Many, many, but yeah. (laughs) No, let's keep it brief. Um, Yeah, so I'm just just a bit of a thought bubble whilst you were talking there, Hannah. Um, Mm. Do you think, do you see the future of this as being maybe empowering the community members to do a lot of that work, you know, in collaboration with you guys, even if it has to be done, you know, remotely or, you know, via Zoom or whatever, so that they can continue to roll out the program and collect the data and and that sort of stuff, um, you know, obviously with your assistance. Is that something that you guys have considered? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly where my brain's at at the moment. I mean, the trial, it's always been a big component of what we wanted to do was to build capacity and build capacity that would live on long past the point where our trial study team was visiting and and providing services. Um, And we've really, you know, we've really worked hard in that space and we've had lots of challenges and lots of successes as well. And it's different across different communities, depending on the landscape. But um, I think it's a real opportunity, Craig, to, to step that up and to say, to, to no longer, we would never do this deliberately, but to to definitely not fall back on doing it ourselves, um, but really sort of hand over ownership of this, this skin program to communities and those in the communities that want to take it on. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm not saying COVID's a good thing, it's never, <laughs> never ever a good thing, but, you know, these virtual technologies are becoming more and more part of people's everyday lives. And... I think we have an opportunity to capitalise on that and say, look, I know this is not what we wanted to do and I know this is not how we said that we would provide for you, um, but this is what we can do and we're here every step of the way on the other side of the screen. Um, But I can envision, like, you know, we still have a year to go, that that's a really long time um, that could allow us to, you know, virtually support skin health from afar and build the capacity of the people who are delivering it on the ground so that once we are no longer, because, you know, we're we're bound by research timelines and funding and everything, as much as we'd like to do this forever, we can't, Um, so that once once we're not there doing it anymore, there's real strong skill sets and motivation in community to um, carry that forward and, and continue after looking after skin in the way that they have been for quite some time so I yeah I'm totally on the same page I'm really I'm actually I'm it's a challenging thing to get your head around when you were meant you had this protocol in mind but it's actually really exciting Mm. it's a really exciting opportunity to do something a bit different Mm. Mm. excellent absolutely all right I'll um I will ask you my my random question that I thought of maybe (laughs) Uh, 40 minutes ago I reckon uh so <laughs> so one of the things that you said is there's this like western medication for skin infections mm-hmm. and then there's the traditional uh bush-based medications what are they oh totally different in, in each community so right. well the the western um uh sort of uh protocols will will be standardized across a region so mm-hmm. for example in our communities all the clinics go by the Kimberley clinical protocols um and so where we want to make change sort of at, at a more than just a community level around making 
um, clinic type medicines available for people and evidence-based treatments available for people um, we sort of have to work at a policy level so ultimately we're looking at trying to change for example um, those protocols or the national healthy skin guidelines and things like that so that across the board people have access to clinic medicines mm -hmm. um, but each community has its own legacy for caring for skin and um, like I said like lots of people have been really generous in sharing that knowledge mm. with us but i certainly wouldn't claim to be an expert <laughs> but um you know i've learned like about um different like uh snappy bark mm -hmm. and some of the different um gum barks and leaves can be really good and there's also lots of different ways of preparing them um you know in oils and wax and things like that and we um it's it's really a, a growing space is just recognizing that this the potential synergy between those two approaches and some of the communities that we travel to have a two-way healing camp every year where they bring together um sort of uh western medicine and traditional medicine mm. and look at how they can work together um but yeah it's it's um it's it's totally different in each community which is which is really amazing that's and really cool there's a lot there's a lot to learn um and it's really an opportunity I think to take that knowledge and make sure that what what we're doing and what we're encouraging and what we're working towards is um, is what works in, in partnership with that rather than instead of mm. yeah excellent well that's probably a great note to finish on um, cool. yeah it's been a really fascinating conversation and yeah we really appreciate you coming on and sharing the experience you've had and um you know some of the learnings and that sort of stuff and yeah we can only wish you well for the remainder of the project and then <laughs> mm -hmm. you, I, I think you're generating hypotheses all the time with a lot of the work you're doing so I, i'm sure it's going to flow on to to more work and more interesting mm -hmm. work as well yeah okay well thank so, you for having me yeah it's been fun thanks very much no worries and we will share the um the art of the stop trial and we will share the hip hop video as well um, in, thank our, you. in our podcast and things. So yeah, thank you very much, Hannah. We really appreciate your time. Anytime. <laughs>
have you thought about just doing this really simple thing instead of trying to yeah, overcomplicate? Yeah, and then more people are invested as well. So, you know, one of the benefits I can see is the more people that are invested, the more people are going to be poking you to say, hey, how are you going with this? And then you're more likely to do things. Yeah. Um, so, it, yeah, it really is like an all-round positive uh, research and learning experience, yeah, I think. I agree. Particularly getting kids involved. Definitely. And, yeah, obviously yeah. there's plenty to unpack in that episode, but just the the whole way of communicating the stuff that you're finding out in a in a easy to understand and I guess relatable way to the people that need that information and you know the process that Hannah's been through kind of learning the best ways of doing that with the community she's been working with I just think that's a huge lesson because you could do a lot of mm. great work get a lot of fascinating and very important results but if you can't communicate them in a way that people can understand then it's almost pointless doing it in the first place totally and I know with that conversation with Hannah I had so many more questions to ask. Yeah. I reckon I could have probably I got her to talk for at least another hour uh, out of the number of questions. So hopefully, uh, particularly when they do have some results for the stock trial, we might be able to get it back on and see whether she's discovered uh, whether pools help with skin checks uh, and what the differences are between the different communities as well as yeah. an update on where the app is. That would be really cool that, too. That would be cool. And maybe we'll be, be able to get her to bring one of the community members that they've been partnering with yeah. on to talk about, you know, what life is like on the ground and how things have changed for people living in the communities. That would be super cool. Yeah. All right, Hannah, we have some jobs for you. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, as usual, uh, if people want to get in touch with us, Courtney, how do they do that? Yeah, so people can email us at meaningofhealthoutlook.com. Please email us to talk to us or you can tweet at us as well at health means what. So we love a conversation, obviously. That's why we've been doing this podcast for a long time. We'd love to talk to you. Uh, we want to interact with our audience. So please tweet us, email us, whatever you'd like to talk about, and we will happily have a conversation with you. Yep, that's it. Everything <laughs> Courtney said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's right. <laughs> thanks very much again, Courtney. And thank you. Thanks everyone for listening. And we'll be back with another episode soon. The Meaning of Health podcast is produced with the support of the Education Enhancement Unit and the School of Population and Global Health at the University of Western Australia. The podcast is produced by Craig Cumming and Courtney Webber with editing, mixing and additional music by Craig Cumming.